Welcome to this episode of Mission Business, a podcast about good business for those in the business of good. Presented by your part-time controller, LLC, also known as YPTC. My name is Jennifer Oliva, the host of Mission Business and managing partner at YPTC. In this special feature episode, I spoke with Eric Freint, president and founder of your part-time controller, LLC. 2023 marks your part-time controller's 30th anniversary. What began in 1993 as a small enterprise by founder and president Eric Freint has grown into a national firm of over 550 staff and over 1,500 clients. From the beginning and stands today, our mission is to help nonprofits further their missions. And now my conversation with my business partner and friend, Eric Freint, president and founder of Your Part-Time Controller, LLC. This is uh, the 30th anniversary edition of the Mission Business Podcast with our very special guest, Eric Freint, founder and president of Your Part-Time Controller, LLC. Hello, Eric. Hello, Jen, and hello to everybody who might be listening to this. This should be a lot of fun talking about 30 years of your part-time controller. Yes, it's it's been an overnight success, and it only took 30 years to become an overnight success. That's right. Why don't we go back to the beginning? So how did your part-time controller get started? Now, of course, I know this story, but our listeners and viewers want to know. So sure. I... Um, <laughs> I'm a CPA and uh, did the usual route through public accounting and uh, was involved in various startup ventures, which all failed. And I found myself unemployed uh, at the beginning of 1993 uh, when a friend called up and said um, he's a CPA with a tax practice. And he said one of his tax clients needed some accounting help. And he said, Eric, go help. And uh, I did, and uh, he sent me to uh, a few of his other clients, and I actually proposed to him that we start a business together, uh, that we become partners where he would do the tax work and the audit work. I would do the outsourced accounting. He wasn't interested, but he gave me my blessing to uh, go off on my own and, uh, you know, got a client here and later a client there. and. Uh, then at the end of 1993, uh, I, I, I met and uh, my first nonprofit uh, client, which I'm always happy to tell the name. It's, it's the Rosenbach Museum and Library in Philadelphia, and uh, end of 1993. And that's how the, uh, the nonprofit work started. So things have worked out pretty well uh, at your part-time controller so far. So a couple questions about the beginnings. Number one, why the name your part-time controller? So, you know, uh, it's hard to remember the exact timing of things happening, but there was a trend back then with companies trying to start with names that didn't mean anything. And, you know, you take a company like Amazon. Uh, I remember when Amazon first started and, and they're selling books online and it was, well, what does that mean? And and other companies, and we all know of companies where the names tell you absolutely nothing about what what the company does. I decided to take the opposite approach. I wanted a name that was as descriptive as possible, uh, and that was the goal. Um, so, and I also didn't want my name to be associated with the company name because I knew even when it was just me sitting there in my house staring at the four walls 
that my goal was to, you know, if successful, was to try to grow something. I never wanted it to be about me because it takes people. Um, I didn't want it to be Eric Franklin Company or Franklin Associates. I didn't want my name to have anything to do with it. So your part-time controller was intended to be as descriptive as possible. Now, what doesn't say is about nonprofit organizations. Yeah. You know, there's only so much you can say in a name. So why the concentration on nonprofits? So, yeah, I, I, I love talking about that. And uh, uh, it, it started by accident, you know, with, with the Rosenbach. At, at that time, I didn't know anything about nonprofit accounting. And uh, it was somewhat fortuitous that that was the year that some new nonprofit accounting rules came into being. But I, what I was searching for in my professional life was a sense of fulfillment, a sense of meaning. Uh, I've always enjoyed accounting, and I'm not shy or embarrassed to say That's that right. I like accounting. I like to do accounting. But I wasn't finding it intrinsically rewarding or fulfilling. Uh, and I was finding that fulfillment in other aspects of my life, you know, family, friends, volunteer activities, and, uh, you know, my synagogue and so on. Uh, but I wasn't finding it with work. Well, I discovered it. For me, it was an epiphany at some point very quickly that, uh, that uh, the meaning, the meaning behind the work that our nonprofit clients do uh, gave meaning to the work that I did helping them. And on a good day, I felt like I helped them. On a bad day, I was like, oh, man, I didn't do my best work today. I'm going to have to work. I'll have to be better tomorrow. And so on a really good day, uh, I felt that I was helping them. And by helping them, I was helping them fulfill their mission. And therefore, that was how I discovered the meaning and fulfillment that I had been searching for at that point in my life. Professionally speaking. Of course, I love it too. And I think the uh, all of our staff members come here and work for your part-time controller because of the meaning and fulfillment that they receive working for nonprofits, first and foremost, because we're always looking for people that that's their desire, their top Absolutely. desire. Yeah. Let's yeah. talk about a little bit about the early days of your part-time controller. So you, you got the Rosenbach Museum and Library, and then what? The secret... <laughs> here comes the secret to success. We're all waiting. And here it comes. <laughs> right, everybody? The secret to success is if you do really good work, people will like it, they will respect it, they will appreciate it, and they will tell others. They will refer to others. And, uh, you know, within the world of nonprofit organizations, what I learned very early on, and it's still true 30 years later, is that, you know, there's three different referral networks that exist. One is one executive director to another. Uh, they talk. And uh, when we get recommended to a new organization, one executive director to another, that, that's, a great, that's a great start. That's a great introduction. Uh, another referral network is board members. Uh, you know, I've served on many boards. Jen, I know you've served on yes. many boards. Many of our staff serve on boards. The thing about board members is that, you know, board members in the nonprofit world, uh, you know, since nonprofit board members typically don't get paid. So why do you serve? You serve out of love for the mission of the organization. Well, people who have that, are of that mindset typically serve on other boards. They, and it uh, doesn't even matter, you know, what type of organization. People who serve on boards typically serve on other boards. And 
Same thing would happen. Board members would see first my work and then our work, and they would say, oh, I really like this. I serve on this other board. Can you help me there? And then the third, and then another, that's another great introduction. The third uh, referral network has always been with auditors. Now, we're not an audit firm, even though I'm a CPA and I did three years in public accounting. And Jen, I know, of course, that yeah. you did. You got your start in public Eight accounting. Years. Eight years. Eight years <laughs> in public accounting. Uh, so it took you longer to figure out that that's not really where you wanted to spend the rest exactly. of your life. I'm slow like that. <laughs> But public accounting is a great learning experience. And, uh, you know, so as, as having had that experience, I knew how to have things ready for the auditors. So, again, even today, our goal is always, uh, you know, we tell our staff that the auditors are our friends. And what we want to do is when the auditors, you know, we used to say walk in the door. Now in the pandemic age, they're not necessarily walking in a physical door. But when the auditors begin their audit, we want to make sure everything is ready. Everything is ready. And for an auditor, that's such a rare experience for your client to have everything ready. And so auditors are very happy and, and auditors recommend and refer us. So, so the nonprofit work just started to, to grow. There, there was no advertising back then. There was no marketing. You know, there was no marketing department. It was just me, and uh, uh, and uh, the nonprofit work started to to grow as a result. Who was your first new hire? So I remember his name. name but, <laughs> you don't uh, have to say the name. <laughs> <laughs> but like, what? How many years were you in into it before you had a new oh, hire, as a, an employee? Uh, it was probably the. Um, first full year, uh, you know, I, I was already out of time. I, you know, I had more work than I could handle alone. So, and then one by one, you know, you, you had a person, you had another person. Uh, I could tell you who the first full-time person is, uh, yeah. and she's still with us. Her name is Suzanne. I won't mention her last name. I don't want to embarrass her. Um, but Suzanne, uh, I am 90% sure that uh, she, she, she was uh, first full-time person, yeah, and that's what happens. You know, yeah. you, you add a person here and you hire a person there and, and you wake up 30 years later and, and we have five, over 500 people. It's like, yeah. how, it, how did that happen? I think we have an extremely strong value proposition for anyone that wants to work here. Absolutely. Uh, including our culture and the fact that we have a very strong and deep culture where we know what our values are and we live them every day. Absolutely. Did you give it a lot of thought about what you wanted the culture of the organization to be in the beginning or did that kind of got, did it get built over time? Well, everything gets built over time. So you don't, um, you don't just wake up one day with a fully formed structure. Uh, even today, uh, mm -hmm. you know, we're constantly, as we grow, we're constantly building structure. Uh, we're constantly trying to figure things out. So, but these basic guiding principles were always there from day one, such as build a place where I've always wanted to work, uh, find fulfillment by working with nonprofit organizations, giving people a lot of autonomy. So the principles are in place from day one. And then just trying to figure out how to do everything and the policies and the procedures. Yeah. You know, I, I tell people that when we hire them that 
when they read their employment agreement, uh, you know, we don't want it to get too long, but it's up to a few pages the last time I looked at it. And, you know, and the interesting thing is that every single paragraph in that employment agreement originated because of something that happened. And I remember all the stories, you know, you could point to any paragraph in the employment agreement and I could tell you what happened. And, and the same thing with our client engagement letters. Again, we don't want them to get too long, you know, too complicated. Uh, but, you know, we keep adding over time and every single line and paragraph in our, in our in client engagement letters, they all got there. Uh, because of something that happened along the way. And we go, oh, well, I guess we better cover this in the future uh, yeah. client engagement letters. And so that's a never, as you grow, yeah. uh, it's, it's a, it, you're constantly building and figuring things out. And it's the figuring out part, which is, is what yeah. I, part of what I like. It's the part of the fun. And one, I'm thinking about one of the guiding principles that you taught me was keep it simple for the client service staff. Don't give them a lot of administrative responsibilities uh, and we'll be in the background supporting them. And I think that's been very helpful over the years so that our client service staff focus on clients. So going back to like the mid 2000s, this is after I was around, I guess I started in uh, <laughs> 2003 uh, and in about 2006, uh, we had the opportunity to expand into other cities. Um, tell me about your experience and your feelings. I mean, I remember it well, but let's hear it from you. You know, so as we started in Philadelphia, and uh, Philadelphia was growing nicely, Philadelphia was, a, was successful. And, you know, there's this thing in the world of uh, new ventures and startups that, um, you know, when you do have a successful startup or a new venture, there's always this question in one's mind about, well, were you successful because you were just lucky or what? You know, how? So I started to feel, and, and Jen, you and I were have engaged in conversations about, mm -hmm. uh, you know, well, maybe we should try to expand to another city. So starting in Philadelphia, expanding to another city meant, well, Washington, D.C. to the south or New York City to the north, both easily accessible by train from Philadelphia. And uh, I won't mention any client names, but one day I was over at a client of ours, a big organization in Philadelphia, and uh, they had a, I'll say, a subsidiary organization in Washington. And I'm sitting there in a meeting with them in Philadelphia, and just totally out of the blue, someone there mentioned that their subsidiary in Washington, boy, they could really use somebody like wipe your part-time controller in Washington. Uh, and I said, oh, we can help them just like that. We can help them. We can, four words, we can help them. I guess I said, oh, so I guess it's five <laughs> words. Oh, we can help them. And they said to me, well, how can you help them? Do you have an office in Washington? And, uh, you know, you can't lie. I mean, we never no, lie to a we client. We never lie. So I said, no, we don't have an office in Washington, but we would love to start one and we'd love to have you as our first client. Anyway, the client in Philadelphia made an introduction to the client in Washington. You know, we had to go through a proposal process and we competed against other Washington-based mm -hmm. organizations. Yeah. Clearly, we had an advantage though, and they hired us. So, now we're doing work 
and and Jen, I know you yes. remember very well. You were the leader of the yes. of the work that we were doing there, mm-hmm. and so now we're doing work in Washington. No office. No. Nope. But we we were going down on the train yeah. from Philadelphia, oftentimes coming back the same day. That's right. We're staying overnight in a hotel. Yeah, and then we got a lot of we got a lot of leads from different auditors, uh, and uh, at, from work we were doing in Philadelphia, and word just got around that we were doing work in Washington, and all of a sudden we were able to hire people in Washington D.C. Yeah, and, and then it was fun, uh, you know going from meeting to meeting in, in Washington because without having an office suite, we, you know, the, there was no place to stay in between <laughs> meetings. So we spent a lot of time in coffee shops. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we, had no, we had no place yes. to stay. Uh, our so. first office in DC was with a client uh, yes. that hired us. And said, yeah, hey, so off of DuPont Circle, yes, uh, for those we, people who are familiar with Washington. Can we use this office? And they're like, hey, would you like to rent it from us? We're like, Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I was I, I was actually doing the budget for them. Or I think it was me. Maybe it was you, Jen. We were yeah. doing the budget for them. And we knew that they didn't have any plans for uh, two of their rooms. And so, yeah. we, we ended up renting them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's we were there for, I don't know, a couple of years. Yeah. Until we outgrew those two rooms. Mm-hmm. And then I have to tell the story about New York. Yeah. Uh, so, one day our phone rings in Philadelphia. And it's a nonprofit in New York City in the Bronx. And they say, hey, we were, you were referred to us by a professor at Columbia University. It's crazy. And they told us the name of the professor. We, had, we were not familiar yeah, with we, him. We had no idea who it was. We had no idea who he was, but he referred us. And they said to us, we know you, you're in Philadelphia and we're in the Bronx in New York, but can you help us? And we said, yes. We can help you. And we talk to them and we hang up the phone and we're like, oh my God, how are we going to help them? They're in the Bronx. We don't have anybody. Well, I drove up there and uh, you drove up there. Did the face to face. You did the face to face. And and then we. Working with them and trying to figure out how we were going to do work in New York um, uh, without any staff there at the time and not having necessarily staff to go there all of the time was. Really, one of our first clients that we were doing remotely. We did have w- one staff member who yeah. uh, lived near Princeton, New Jersey. Correct. And he was the closest person to New York, and um, and we we did uh, he 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 uh, volunteered to do that client. I just remember what a commute he had. He yes. You know, first he had to get to New York, and he he took through subways, you yeah, know, he and then he had to trooper. walk, and it was one heck of a commute. But he did it for a very long time. And yes. Anyway, same thing started to happen. We we start to get other referrals, and you know, the next thing you know, you start hiring people. So in Washington, we started hiring Washington-based accountants, and then yes. in New York, we started hiring, and then and, you eventually need an office. Yeah. Um, and so we, we first uh, took a small space and then later a larger space. Uh, and now we have a very nice space right across, you know, next to Macy's department <laughs> store. Right. We can look at their window and watch the Macy's Thanksgiving that Day Parade. Right. I was thinking about the beginning of, of New York, too. And it was our first venture into having someone transfer from one office to the other uh, to yeah, lead it. Yeah. and. That yes, was so, a learning experience and opportunity for us. And, you know, I've had people ask me over time, like, how, 
how did you make that decision? And I go, well, it's very easy. We had somebody in Washington who's excellent. She was excellent then. She's still excellent today. <laughs> and she, I'm having lunch with her in Washington. And she says, hey, you know, her personal circumstances were such where she was able to, to relocate. She said, hey, I would love to help start up the New York office. So, you know, I, I often tell people uh, that and, uh, you know, how do you, how do you find opportunities and how, you speak up, you know, you, you know, you ask, you speak up. And even today, I mean, with 500 people and over 500 people yeah. today and scattered now we're all over the country. Uh, you know, I don't know everybody and Jen doesn't know everybody and, you know, and there's various mechanisms that we have for people, you know, we have ways of managing our business, but, but still, you know, speak up and, and let people know you have an interest in something and it and doesn't guarantee that whatever you're interested in will come to be, but that's a good way to start. And then speaking of speaking up, how about, you know, we ask staff at a staff meeting, was it in 2015, 2016, maybe it was 17, I can't remember. Where should be, after we were in D.C. and New York, what should be our next office? I, re I remember that very well. And, uh, we had an all-staff meeting, everybody together at that time in, in one room in, in Philadelphia. I don't know how many people we had at the time. Mm -hmm. but, you know, now we're thinking, well, are we now we're successful in Philadelphia, Washington, and New York. And we're thinking, well, maybe this is just a Northeast United States thing. Mm -hmm. Is this like a is this a regional thing that why we're being successful? So we thought, well, let's let's try another city in another part of the country. So, you know, as Jen just mentioned, uh, you know, I at one at this meeting, I I read off a list of the twenty largest cities in the country, and I you know we wanted to pick somebody from our staff who already understood how we work to lead an effort in another city. And I asked people, who would like to, would anybody like to move to any of these cities? And one person came up to me and she said, yeah, I'd like to move to another city, one of the cities. I said, which one? And she said, Houston. I said, okay, I'll, I'll make a note of that. And then literally a week later, somebody else on our staff reached out to me and she said, I'd like to move to another one of those cities. And I said, which one? And she said, Houston. Said, well, Two out of two want Houston. <laughs> I guess Houston's going to be our next office. And, you know, of course, Jen, you, you know this very well, that mm -hmm. people always assume that as accountants, and, you know, we love analysis, you we do. love spreadsheets, you know, we love, you know, we're accountants, we love this stuff. So people assume that we went through a lot of sophisticated <laughs> analysis and market research and crunching numbers. And, and yes, we, we did do market research and we did, do some number crunching, but ultimately, that's really how we decided on Houston. So that's people how the Houston spoke office up. started. People spoke up. People spoke up. It didn't hurt yeah. that it was the fourth largest city in the country, but oh, well, that, yeah. <laughs> well, I read off the list of the twenty largest cities in the right. country. So right. well, it, it was up there for sure. So then, uh, so we had Houston, then Phoenix. Why Phoenix? So Phoenix, uh, you know, I spent uh, six years on the board of the Grand Canyon Conservancy. I, I was an avid hiker before my Guillain-Barre, uh, which sidelined me from hiking. Uh, but, uh, 
I traveled in and out of Phoenix constantly to go up to the Grand Canyon. Uh, and uh, for those familiar with the Grand Canyon, uh, from to Phoenix is the best way to get to the South Rim. North Rim, usually travel through Las Vegas. But anyway, I was constantly in Phoenix. And so I thought, well, I'm already here uh, several times a year. Uh, and uh, so, okay, Phoenix, next office. <laughs> there so, you go, check. In 2017, uh, you did. You mentioned your Guillaume Bray. So I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that and like how that. Well, I'll just mention it. So, uh, the company and and uh, also um, yourself and your own personal health. So uh, yeah, I was sidelined for essentially you know 11 months uh, in 2017, and uh, and it just happened very suddenly. And uh, this is where having a very strong team is critical. So, you know, within <laughs> with like 24 hours That's notice, unbelievable. Uh, Jen, uh, you took over. Uh, yeah. And with the able assistance of a number of other people on, on staff, a lot of people on staff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the company didn't miss a beat. And, yeah. you know, so as I was starting to recuperate at the end of that year, uh, and uh, I started, to, I was at that point in my life, I was trying to decide what I was going to do. Should I come back to work? Should I not come back to work? What should I do? And, uh, you know, I was thinking that, you know, it was the good news, bad news scenario. Yes. So the good news was that the company kept going without me. The bad news was the company kept going without me. <laughs> so I really started to think at that time that, well, you know, maybe I don't need, maybe I don't need to come back. Uh, but, you know, the reality is that uh, as we grow as a company, there is an un ending stream of needs and things that have to be dealt with. And uh, if, if anything, you know, we, we need, you know, we need more people and mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're promoting lots of people to lots of positions. And because, and even so with all the promotions that we're doing um, and uh, uh, we still need more, we, we need the best of the best to, to help us continue to run and build the company. I want to thank our guest, Eric Frank, president and founder of your part-time controller LLC for joining me in this first part of a two-part episode of the Mission Business Podcast. We look forward to bringing you more stories of innovation and perseverance from nonprofits around the world. I want to thank the team at PWP Video for their guidance and assistance in the development and production of this podcast. They are a great partner for Media with a Mission, and you can find them at pwpvideo.com. Additional information about this episode can be found at missionbusinesspod.com. And follow us on social media at Mission Business Pod on Instagram and Facebook and Mission Biz Pod on Twitter. This podcast was produced by Erica Blair and Gerilyn Dressler of your part-time controller, LLC. Dave Winston and Michael Schweizheimer are our producers from PWP Video, and the show was directed and edited by Pat Ganley. Again, I'm Jennifer Oliva, and we'll see you here next time on Mission Business Podcast, presented by your part-time controller, LLC. LLC.